Palm Sunday. Happy Palm Sunday, everybody. Some of you didn't know that was Palm Sunday, but today is the day. Um, and it starts the beginning of um, what most Christians call a Holy Week. Um, the beginning of when Jesus, this day represents the day that Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. They were waving palm branches saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But it was really the beginning of the end um, of his ministry on earth. Um, but it was also uh, the beginning of the church and the beginning of what we are all celebrating here. And so this week, um, I'm reflecting, I'm reading, I'm reading, I'm going back to the texts uh, of, of the Palm Sunday and, and, and the Easter message and the cross and just making it personal again. And I would encourage you to do that as well. If you can find a, a reading plan on your U version, I have one that's 40 days um, and uh, it's amazing and I'm reading it every day, but it's just reminding me fresh and new what, what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. So again, happy uh, Palm Sunday. And again, Easter next weekend, Saturdays 5 and 6.30, and then our regular 8.45, 10.15, 11.45 schedule on Sunday. And listen, if this is home for you, um, we're challenging you to come to the Saturday ones and uh, enjoy yourself and not serve and not work, and, unless, you're, unless you're already scheduled for that. Then please do. Uh, <clears throat> But then to bring a friend, a neighbor, coworker, family, whatever, on Easter Sunday, um, let's pack this place out um, and let's just see what God can do um, through, through the power of the risen Savior. Amen, somebody? And so it's going to be a great weekend. Um, we are in a series about the church, which is kind of weird because normally we don't do that. But every now and then, um, we're, we're, we're getting ready to celebrate 10 years next month, everybody. 10 years. Which, um, if you're new here, you're like, big deal. We just got here. But if, you're, if you've been here since the beginning, right, it feels so long and so short all at the same time. I don't know. Some of you can know what I'm saying about that. And, and so we're kind of just reminding ourselves who we are and what we do and why we do it and, um, and, and, and the vision of the house and the heart of the house. And the vision is that everybody would know God find freedom from their yesterdays, from their baggage, the, the past, the stuff that all of us come carrying with, uh, in with, and, and then we discover our purpose, like what we're on the planet to do. And then after we do that, we make a difference. We go out and, and wherever God calls us to serve, whether it's in the local church or through some active activism in the, in the, in the city or whatever, wherever it is, missions, we just go out and do what God's called us to do and make a difference. And that's, that's our heart is to take everybody from where they are to where God wants them to be. And that's the sort of vision, the process by which we uh, want to take people on that journey. But today I want to talk more about the heart of the house like what our heart is for this community, for this city, for our church. And, um, and I want to do it by taking you to the book of Acts. And I brought my Bible up here, and I'll tell you why. A lot of times I just put them in my notes, and I read it off the thing, because it's kind of hard for me to read now that I'm getting older, this tiny little print. Um, but I'm going to do it today, because back when, back when we were first getting ready to start this church, and even after we started this church, there was this thing that I would do, <clears throat> um, and I would use this, this same exact Bible right here to do it because there's this great picture of the early church in the book of Acts in Acts chapter 2, um, which is what the church should look like, what the church looks like when it is getting um, things right. Like, like it, it, this is the, the, the hope filled chapter for me, like we're not here yet, but this is where we're trying to go thing. And so I would literally, as I would pray, and, and back in the day, we didn't have a building and we didn't have an office and <clears throat> we didn't have anything. We just had my house. And I would walk around in that house after everybody was gone to school and to daycare and work. And I would pray 
And I would walk around because I'm, I'm the kind of person who prays and walks around. I don't know how to, I'm, I'm not good at kneeling. I'll do that every now and then, but like I'm, I'm, like, I'm like the least flexible person ever in the history. Gilbert Zertuche, who plays keyboards, he's also uh, uh, my family's photographer. Like he, he's like an amazing photographer. And he'll always try to get me to get into certain positions. I'm like, dude, I, I can't do that. I, I don't I, He's like, no, no, just sit down and do this. And I'm like, no, brah, you don't understand. My knees, they're, they're just, they just don't do that. <clears throat> so anyways, so I walk around, and, and, and this is what I would pray over our church <clears throat> back in those days, and then from that point. And matter of fact, it's, it's all written up, and it's highlighted, and I always keep my little tab right here. And here's what it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves, and I'm praying this over our church, and I'm praying this over you, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, meaning they didn't just show up on Sundays and like go, hey, what's up, bro, and I won't see you till next Sunday. These folks were doing life together. And to the breaking of bread, right, come on, everybody, they were eating meals, like, and that's, I praise Jesus for that. Like, if it were here, we would be doing canaguisada and big red. <laughs> they were eating bread, you know, but we eat tortillas here, um, which that's in the Bible, right? They were hanging out and eating meals together. I love that. And, and they were committed to, they were devoted to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe. Um, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Meaning this was a church where miraculous things were a regular occurrence. And it should be for us as well. Amen, somebody, I'm just telling you that. And all the believers were together, meaning they weren't like all like, like living in a commune, that they were of the same mind and heart. They, they, were, they were focused on the, on the mission. And they had everything in common. And then look at the, the, the radical generosity. They were selling their possessions and goods, and they gave to anyone in their, in their faith community, they gave to anyone who had need. And then, and then every day they were continuing to meet together in the temple courts and they were breaking bread. Like it's twice in the text that you should eat meals. Like, so I love this verse a lot. That's why I pray it over you guys. Only, that's the only reason. No, I'm kidding. And then they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. So it was a church marked by praise and worship. And they were enjoying the favor of all the people. Like, like, it was so powerful what was going on in their community that even people who didn't believe in Jesus, didn't believe what they believed, were drawn to them. You see? And then this powerful line, and the Lord added to their number daily. Like, this church was popping, man. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What an amazing picture of what it looks like when everybody gets on the same page and everybody starts to work together, when everybody's following Jesus and realizing that it's not just up to the so-called professional ministry people, it's up to everybody pulling their weight to make this happen. There's some assembly required. Does that make sense? Now, the question that I'm wrestling with, and this is a kind of a deeply personal message today, and if it's a little weird for you, I'm sorry, it's just kind of where I'm at. I'm thinking about 10 years, and I'm thinking about where we're going. And the, the, the question I'm wrestling with is, how do we reach God, uh, a people rather, that God has placed around us with the love and the compassion and the, the, the eternity-altering good news gospel of Jesus Christ. Like, how do we do that? We live in a huge city where there are lots of people that are headed for a Christless eternity, and it's our mission to make it hard for people to go to hell. 
right? To not, to not see Jesus. We, we don't exist for us. We exist for them. And the truth is, is that we're completely dependent upon God. And really, we're also dependent on each other to do this, right? We, nobody, no one person, no two people can do this. But that there's something about the church when it starts working right, when, when people come together and they start loving and serving and worshiping and, and praying and they get generous and they care for each other and they get honest and they confess and, and their lives start to change that just is so attracted to people who don't know Jesus. When they see people who are filled with that kind of, that, 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 that explains who they are. They're drawn to Jesus because of people like that. And, and the Lord added to their number Daily, I'm telling you, there is nothing in the world that the world offers like the church when it's being done the right way, right? And what we're praying together is, God, would you help us be that kind of church? And would you help us build a little army of compassionate and loving people who are not here serving ourselves, but we're out there following Jesus and telling lost people about you. There's some assembly required. And we're 10 years old as a church next month, which is hard for me to imagine, but that's still very young as a church. There's a church in this town, in Holotus, in this area that we're in, that's over 150 years old. Did you know that? And in Santa Fe, New Mexico, I was there in, 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 in the fall, and there was a church that was 410 years old, like it predates our country, right? Which is amazing. And I went in there and I was like, whoa, this is really old. Um, and then there are churches in, in Europe that are like, make that one look like a puppy, right? You know what I'm saying? And, and like, in, in, the, in the relative scheme of things, our church is still very, very young. But as we approach such a significant milestone, at least in my heart, the questions start rolling around your head, like, what, what, what's next? And, and for us, right now, we're in a building phase, and as soon as the city can get their act together, we can get our uh, permits approved, which, dear God, help them, right? Anyways, that's a whole other problem that I have right now. We're going to get into a new building, and it would be really easy to just sort of settle into, oh, we're building a building phase, and we'll kind of just enjoy the progress, and we'll just, we'll wait for the new building to grow, and, and, and it'll help us take off to the next level, and, and it would be really easy to do that. But here's, here's the question. <clears throat> when, when should a church stop focusing on trying to reach people who don't know Jesus with the love of Jesus and we should start changing our focus to the people who already come to the church. This happens, right? You understand this. This happens in lots of churches, particularly as they age. Like when has a church grown large enough where it can say, all right, now we've got enough people in here Let's, not let's let somebody else worry about those out there and our preoccupation is going to be and our resources and our energies and our time is going to be spent on the folks who are already in here. When, when has the church been around so long that it can say, because churches say this all the time, now we're going to stop innovating and experimenting and doing new stuff and praying and risking and giving and serving and planting new churches, which is what we do as a church. And we're just going to focus on those who are already inside. And we're going to, we're going to make sure that we cater to the people who are in here. Like we're going to play the kind of music they want and make sure the lights are just like they want. We're going to do away with the fog. I don't know why we do fog. It just makes the lights look cooler. Just FYI. Anyways, makes me cough. Right. But anyways, it's all good. It's not about me. Come on, somebody. And I'm going to cough today. I'm going to tell you that. I coughed like 89 times in the first service because thanks for the big oaks that are out in front. They helped me out when I walked in the door. They dropped a lot of yellow stuff on me. You guys know what I'm saying? Those of you who've lived here a while, there's a lot of yellow going on and you're breathing it in and it's choking me up. Anyways, I'm not mad. I'm not bitter in any way. Or 
You see, what, what makes a church young is not how many years it's been since it got started. It's a church that says, listen, we, we will never stop doing what Jesus commanded us to do. Like, we will never stop giving uh, what Jesus called us to give. We will never stop going where Jesus called us to go. We will never stop loving the people Jesus called us to love. We will always remember that our community, the church community, exists for the sake of, the God, of God's world out there. Right? That, that the church does not exist for the church and for the people of the church. The church exists for the, for the folks who are not in the church yet. Amen. That's who it is. And I've been thinking a lot about our church, and we've been through an amazing season. A lot of you have been right here with us for so many years as we've gone from a daycare. Like, wherever you're supposed to start a church, it's not in a daycare, amen. I know that now. See, I know that now, but I didn't know that then. Anyways, we've gone to a daycare to Noah's Ark here. This kind of looks like Noah's Ark a little bit if you look at it. Like, it's tall in the middle for the giraffes, and then over there, the sheep and the goats and whatever, and the birds, they kind of, anyways, it kind of looks like an ark to me. That's all I'm saying. Um, Anyways, moving right along, because you didn't think it was that funny. Uh, Anyways, we've gone from a daycare to Noah's Ark, and and we're going to build a building. But here's the thing. I fundamentally believe that God has so much more for us, and we have to pursue it collectively. All of us. And I'm just going to speak personally for a moment here. Um, I'm, I'm 46 years old. I know I look much, much younger than that. Um, you guys laughing at me, right? Yeah, yeah I'm laughing with you because sometimes when I look in the mirror, I'm thinking, who's that old dude looking back at me, man? He looks like a grisly World War II vet, you know? <laughs> Homeless even. Um, but what I'm trying to say is I'm old enough now to understand my limitations. Like when I was 25 or 30, 35, heck, when I was 45, I didn't understand that I had limitations. But I'm understanding now that there's some things I'm never going to be good at. I'm just not going to be good at everything. I, I'm not going to be better at, at things than other people are. Like you, you, when you grow up, you're like, someday I'm going to be better than that guy or this. Like I understand now that I have limitations. And, and what that brings me to is the fact that I'm wise enough now to know that I don't want to just do what I'm able to do within my own abilities because they're not good enough and they never will be, right? I do not want to do what I think I, or humanly speaking, we even t- together can do with our human resources and our sort of self-sufficiency. I, I don't want to just do what we can do. Like, I want to see God do for us and through us what we could never do on our own in a million lifetimes. Amen, somebody? Like, I want to be able to tell my kids, look what God did. Right? That's what I want to say. Not look what we did or look what I did, but look what God did. And, and you see, what made that early church happen and the way that it happened and, 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 and it did what it did was that God sent his Holy Spirit down on a little group of ordinary people, right? Not, not extraordinary people, not rich people, not, not the most educated people, just ordinary people. He sent his Spirit down on them with so much potency, with so much power, and he still does this, by the way, that there were no words for it. So Luke is trying to articulate what he witnessed, what he saw, what he experienced. And so here's what he says in Acts chapter 2. This is is the earlier part of chapter 2. We read the latter part of it. He says that when the day of Pentecost came, so, so the cross happens, the resurrection happens, and then 50 days later is Pentecost, right? So they were all together in one place. 
Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So, so Luke is trying to say, man, I was there and, and, and it, was, it was like fire came down. It probably wasn't fire because we would have all burned up and it would have been bad and we would have never gotten off the ground this church. Come on, can I, can I get an amen? And like, it wasn't wind, but it was like wind, and, and wind is mysterious, and it's like, it, when it blows, man, crazy things can happen, and we've seen that in our own natural disasters. It wasn't wind, but it was kind of like wind, and, and, and so Luke is just trying to describe what this, this spirit empowerment was like, and it was amazing, and, but, but, but what was maybe even more amazing than what happened in this upper room was what broke out from the community, Right? It wasn't great knowledge. Like they didn't suddenly become like super smart. Like they know all the answers to all the questions. It wasn't any human attribute really. It was just this love and this boldness and this courageousness, this fearlessness to trust God at his word. To do like Jesus said we could do this. Boom, let's go do this. And they went out and they did this. And Jesus had said a long time ago to a little group of people in John's gospel, in John 13, he says in verse 34, by this, or, or rather a new command I give you. Like you got a bunch of them, I want to give you a new one. Love one another. That, that's it. Like love one another. Like as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And then he says this, and by this everyone will know that you are my followers, my disciples, if you love one another. Just love, just, just people, ordinary people, just people like you and me, empowered by the Holy Spirit of God and consumed by the love of God which had been shown to them, poured into their hearts, and then that flows out of them. That grace flows down and then grace flows out. It has a flow about it. And that's what I don't want to miss, just starting with me. That this is what I think Jesus would say to us as a, as a church. You don't, want to, you don't have to be the smartest or the richest or the most strategic place on earth. In fact, a lot of times that stuff would get in your way, he would say. Just be the most loving, right? The most welcoming, the kindest, the most caring. Like he, say, he would say, I'm betting the farm that if you get this right, it's going to go super, super well for you. That everybody will know you belong to me if they can look at you and say, this is the most loving the most caring, the most generous, the most gracious, the most warm group of human beings like I've ever seen. Like, I, I want to be part of that. Th that's, that's our calling as a church. That's what makes us stay fresh and flourish as we move past 10 years and we move into the future. That's what the good stuff is. That's the secret sauce. Not more money, not more buildings, not more stuff. That's the secret sauce. And what I want to do with this time that's left in, in, in my talk is to give you a picture of three huge signs. And we're going to help you with that in just a minute. They're, they're really important to us. We talk about them all the time. Some of you came in this morning, you were wearing shirts with these written on you. I've seen you already here. Um, there are these three great signs that describe Jesus' life, Jesus' ministry, the community that he created, the community that he poured his spirit out on and sent them out into the world. And they turned the world upside down, the access. That these people turned the world upside down. 
that we're here today celebrating Palm Sunday, Easter next week because of those people, those first people. And, and what I want you to do is personalize these three, three words. Like, do, are these three phrases true of me? Like when people look at my life, is this true of me? And, and number one, it's just this. And most of you know this already, that everyone is welcome, right? And, and by the way, and wanted. Like everyone is welcome and wanted. You know, you know what was staggering in Jesus' day? Was what, what it looked like for, the, for that community when a leader, because they'd never had a leader like Jesus before, with, with whom everyone was welcome. Like Jesus, Jesus' welcoming nature scandalized people, particularly the religious elite. Because what was most striking about him wasn't just his teachings or, or, or his healings or his miracles that he did. Those were phenomenal. But it was above all else how he would welcome and love and accept and embrace and include anybody who came up to him. It just didn't matter. You, you read the Gospels. They're full of these stories. Gentiles, anybody who was not Jewish. Pagans, Samaritans, who were kind of a, people who were other than to the Jews, right? Prostitutes, tax collectors, lepers, sinners, Romans, slaves, cheats, adulterers, demon-possessed people. Like most of us would be like, ah, eh, you go stay over there, right? right? The unclean, the unwashed. The, and some of you are sitting next to the unwashed right now today. Come on. Right, spirit, the unloved, right, spiritual losers. They're drawn to Jesus. All these kinds of people are drawn to Jesus like a magnet, and he just loves them, right? And he has such a heart for, for everybody, and everybody wants to be around him. And, and what's fascinating is this, is, is that he was closer to God than anyone, right? He said, me and my father are one, Right? And yet people who were the farthest from God, the, the least religious people, were drawn to him the most, right? In, in fact, people who agreed with Jesus the least wanted to be around him the most. Fascinating, right? That he had this sort of magnetism. And, and what's even crazier is that the so-called religious people, the people who were, who were, quote, closest to God, were the most offended by him and wanted nothing to do with him. Because, not, not, just be, not just because of his miracles, like, like they would be like, well, I'm going to teach this fancy lesson, and then he would come and raise people from the dead. And they're like, oh, he's showing me up again. Like, you ever, you ever been around somebody that's always got to top you, right? You, don't, you, you tend to go, I'm not going to hang around with them anymore, right? Because they're always topping my story. Maybe that's me. I don't know. Maybe I do that to you. I'll stop doing it. All right, sorry. But, like, but if you ever been around a person who wants to top, you're like, eh. Well, Jesus maybe was doing this to them, but that wasn't what ticked them off so much. You know what ticked them off? is how he, quote, this is them, this is what they say, he welcomes sinners and eats with them. Right? Quote, this man welcomes sinners. Now, you understand, this wasn't a compliment. Right? For you and I, this might be a compliment, but Jesus wore it like a giant badge of honor. With Jesus, everybody is welcome. And so then after Jesus died and the Holy Spirit came upon them, these people, the strangest thing happened to this community. It, was a, it, it became a place like no other place in all of human history forever had ever existed before. It became a, a community where everybody in the world, no matter your ethnic background, your religious or your moral history, or your, whether you were rich or poor, black, white, right, brown, whatever, whatever your creed, you were welcome. To, 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 to the extent that when the Paul, Paul the Apostle is writing about this in, in Galatians, he says, he says, listen, guys, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There's no us and them. 
right? It's not slave, it's not free, it's not male, it's not female. For you are all what? One in Christ Jesus. We're all together, we're all on the same page. In, in other words, all of those barriers that separated the people in that time and made them hate each other, and they did, it doesn't matter anymore. Like in the church, all that stuff has to go away. And this is so countercultural even in our day. Because in the ancient world, right, it all just boiled down to there's, there's us and there's everybody else. And it's our job to conquer and make slaves out of everybody else. That's what was happening. That's what the Roman Empire was sort of built on. And, and in our day, we still do this. We divide each other. We, we, define, we figure out our differences rather than celebrating what, de- what brings us together. We're all about what de- makes us different. And then we, we highlight that. We still do this. But then there's this community. And they remember they follow a man who literally on the night before he died with his followers in an upper room <clears throat> celebrating the Lord's t- Supper. Right? He gets down on his hands and his knees And he washes his own followers' feet like he's their slave. And then he says, fellas, what I've done for you, I want you to go out and do it for other people. I want you to be servants of everybody. And they remember this. And so this is a matter of history. They say to people who are slaves, because slavery was a huge issue in Roman times. That's what Romans were doing. They were conquering nations and taking the best and the brightest and making them their slaves. And so this Christian community was saying, I know out there you're not valued as a human being or, or as much, but in this place, we welcome you, we honor you, we love you, we're gonna treat you as an equal in this place. This place has to be different than that place out there. That's what they would say. And it's a, it's, it's a matter of history. And when the church forgets this part, it's just a matter of time before the church slowly begins to die happens all over the country. You can go to any small town in America and you'll see churches that used to be huge and giant that are filled with people who don't have long for this world. Can I just be kind and say it that way? Anyways, just moving right along. I'm one of them. I get it. All right, anyways. Our prayer has to be, God, keep adding to our church whoever wants to know you. Like whoever wants to come here, even if they, they're not even interested in knowing you, they're just trying to kick the tires, they're just trying to decide if I believe. Like, like welcome them. Be the kind of church that says, keep adding to the church whoever wants to come. And if we don't ask God that, and if we don't make that our prayer, we forget that we're not here for us. We're here for them. Bad things happen when churches forget that. They forget this, and this is personal for me. Like, maybe it's not for you, but Danny, this is what the Lord would say to me. It's not about you. It's about me using you to reach them. That's what it's about. And and we can't just pray, God, add. We gotta pray that. That's gotta be our prayer. But we also gotta pray, God, help me to be actively looking for people to bring So our job is to bring, God's job is to add, and then as he adds, it's our job to welcome every one of them with open arms. Can I get a good amen, somebody? When a church is working right, there's nothing in the world like it. There's nothing like being a part of that, being devoted, giving your best for that. There's nothing like that. Not giving your best to your job or to this or that, but giving your best to God. Like Do your best, but give your best to God. You know when that happens, the sick get cared for? Matter of fact, if we do it like they did it, the sick get healed. Can I get an amen on that? Men and women live like brothers and sisters and sexuality gets redeemed and the lonely get loved and the dying get friends. And, 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 and for me, for me just personally, 
When people who know you or who know me are able to tell by the look on my face, by the tone of my voice, by my body language, the way I listen to them, that there's this big sign on my life that says, hey, with me, everybody's welcome. When we get that right, we're going to go far. And Jesus would say, listen, I'm betting the farm on this. If you'll get this part right, you'll go far as a church. That's the sign. We want to be known for that sign. The second sign is just simply this, is that nobody's perfect. Matter of fact, if you're the kind of person who would see yourself as perfect, you're going to hate it here. Come on, somebody. You're just not going to like it here. You're going to be like, man, why don't they do this and that and that? Why does that guy look like that? And why does he dress like that? And why don't they wear this? And why don't, why is it? You're going to hate it here. Just do yourself a favor and, man, go find the perfect place because this isn't it. Amen, somebody. We meet Noah's Ark and we're proud of it. Amen. <laughs> so I love it. I love this statement, nobody's perfect, because it takes the pressure off, doesn't it? Yeah. Right? Well, because Paul says in Romans 3, He's like, I don't care who you are. Here's what's true about you. Verse 22, there is no difference between Jew and Gentiles. Again, there's no, there's no us and them, right? For what? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But here's the good news part of this. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. We all Make, make, make terrible choices and decisions, but we are all made right because of Jesus. Isn't that good news, somebody? In this community, there's no separating people into the superior and the inferior, into the better and the worse. We are all people who need God's grace every day, all the time, every one of us. Can I get a good amen on that? But here's the truth. Our city is filled with people who need to know Jesus who have to have their lives changed by Jesus. And our city is huge and it's filled with, the, with literally millions of people potentially who are headed for a crisis eternity. And we can't get overwhelmed by that because Jesus isn't calling you and me to reach everybody. He's just calling you to reach somebody. Just one. And that somebody has a life that they have to live and that somebody has a death that they're going to die, just like you and I. And that somebody has an eternity that they're going to have to face. And they need Jesus to go into that eternity, right? Can I get an amen? amen. I, I was thinking about this sign, nobody's perfect. Like, what's the, what's the significance of that? L let me make it real for us. Who who's going to tell the folks in San Antonio, the people in your neighborhood, the people on your job, that they need Jesus? Who's going to have the love and the, and, and the courage to say to people, man, listen, it's not good for you if you don't know Jesus. But matter of fact, let's just be bold right now and look to the person next to you and say, you're a sinner and you need Jesus. And don't take so much joy in it, man. Nobody's perfect. Can I get an amen? Some of you are like, yes, this is my favorite part of the message. Can we do that again? Can we do that every week? I'm feeling my oats now, right? Listen. In just a moment, we're going to take communion together as a, as, a, as, a, as a church. And the table is where, is the place where the awfulness of, of human sin and the awfulness of the, the price that Jesus had to pay with his death, but then the awesomeness of God's forgiveness, it's at the table that it gets proclaimed like no other place. And where are people going to be able to participate in that? Apart from in God's house, if they don't hear this message, if people don't bring them so that God can add them. In this community, we don't pass judgment. We don't look down. We don't divide up people into us versus them. 
Now, we'll speak the truth in love when that's, when that's appropriate. That's what the, the Bible calls us to do. We hold each other accountable. We confess sin. This is a place, though, where everybody is welcome. This is a place where nobody is perfect. And if you're a perfect person, again, you're going to hate it here because church is not for perfect people. Jesus said, I didn't come for perfect people. I came for those who were jacked up and messed up. That's what he said. I didn't come for them. He said it, he didn't say it in my language. He said it in his more Bible-looking language. But I say jacked up and messed up. Can I get a good amen on that? Because I think people at the end of the day want to know, if I come, can I, can I come as I am? Yes. Can I come with doubts and questions? Yes. Can I come with my fears? 100%. Can I come with my disagreements? Right on. Can I come with my, my, my doubts? Like if, if God is even real? Yes. Everyone's welcome. And guys, I have to tell you, when people get real, and when people say, you know what, I'm not perfect, and they get honest about that, and they stop trying to hide that, start trying to cover up, start trying to fake, stop trying to fake like they're, they got it all together, man, there's something about a community that says we're not all perfect, but man, we're all going the same direction. We're all trying to make it happen together, and we're here for each other, and we'll confess to each other when we need to, but we're going to support one another. We're going to have each other's back because at life point, nobody's perfect. And then lastly, with Jesus, anything is possible. Come on, amen, somebody. Anything is possible. Since the Holy Spirit came, anything is possible. Jesus said himself, and he said these words to a person who said, Lord, I believe, but there's a part of me that doesn't believe. Could you help me with that part? And here's what Jesus says to him. He doesn't rebuke him. He doesn't say, are you serious, dude? You still don't believe after all this, after all the stuff I've done. He just says, hey, man, all things are possible for the one who believes. Like, if you can figure this part out, if you can trust me, all things are possible for the one who believes. What would your life look like? And what would my life look like if every day, not just on Sundays, but if every day I walked around in the awareness that God's spirit is in me, that God's spirit is upon me, that God's power is available to me all throughout the day to pray for other people, to pray for my own stuff, to believe God for the impossible. How different would our life like be like if we realized that God's power is flowing in our life every day, all day. It's there. It's, it's, like a, it's like when you flip on a switch, it's just the power comes on. The lights turn on. Like it's there. You know, it's an interesting thing. God, God's power tends to come not to people who think of themselves as powerful and self-sufficient, but to people who go, yeah, I'm not very powerful at all. That God tends to enjoy that. He tends to respond to that. As a matter of fact, I, I, I have been all over the world. I grew up as a kid uh, in Kenya in, as a missionary's kid and traveled the world, and I've done so since my whole life long. I've devoted myself to missions. And I, I, I've seen in third world countries stuff that I don't see in this country. I, I've seen people who have no other options but God's power. They're, they are the powerless. They are under-empowered. They are under-resourced. And so when they hear the message that, that power can come to you, that God's power can rest upon you, that God can give you strength and, 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 and give you the power to do things that in your own human ability you would never be able to do, they're attracted to that. <clears throat> but as a nation, we are incredibly self-reliant people. And we wear that as a badge of honor. But then God doesn't show up in, in, in us and through us in the same way he does where people go, 
I don't have it all together. I need your power. I need your help. I won't make it without you. And God responds to that. And and I think for us, it's about two things. Who do we think God is? Like, I mean, what's he like? What's he all about? What can or will he do on our behalf? And then secondly, do I have enough belief and trust in him to actually pray bold, audacious prayers to ask him to move the mountains in my life? Do, Do I have the boldness and the faith to believe that if I pray for a sick person, they might get well. If I pray for a need in my heart, in my life that's bigger than me, that God can remove that. You see, I had a God created kind of messed up in my mind because of my religious sort of upbringing that God was angry or that God was mad or that God was disappointed in me constantly. And maybe you struggle with a view of God like that where you don't see him as, as heavenly father because maybe your father wasn't a good representation of that. But let, let me just help you with this today. God is a father, a good, good father, the best kind of father ever. But he's also a king. And imagine you served a God who was your father, but he was also a king with all power. Like, and he's like, what do you need me to do for you today, son? Like, I have the power, the ability to do this for you. That he loves answering our boldest prayers and performing the miraculous and helping his children reach their highest dreams, that that's who he is, that that's what he's all about. He's good, fundamentally. So so that the bigger and the bolder your prayers are, the more glory he gets when he answers them for you. When he shows up big in your life, it just gives him incredible joy. That God's gets the most glory in our life when, when our human sort of impotence intersects with his, his omnipotence, his all-powerfulness. When our faith, our trust intersects with his faithfulness, huge things are possible. It's simply a fact and it's borne out all throughout the scriptures. So since God sent his spirit down, anything is possible. <laughs> anything is possible. And here's how I want to bring it to you corporately and then I'll finish just talking about you individually. Corporately, like the most immediate thing is we're building a building and we need God to move on our behalf with the powers that be. We just need them to do anything. Can I get an amen? Sorry. If you're a power that be, forgive us. But right now we're frustrated with you. We need that to go down. But, but secondly, right here, right now in front of us is Easter weekend. This is the greatest opportunity we will have all year long to see the most people come and give their lives to Jesus. So here's what I'm saying to you. Those of you, this is home for you. 5 and 6.30 on Saturday next week, come. Enjoy yourself. Relax. Come back again on Sunday bringing people. Bring people who need to know Jesus. Like, let's believe God for something huge. Let's believe that God has 75 or 100 people who will give their lives to Jesus right here this weekend. That seems impossible, but with, all, with God, anything is possible. And if you and I will get this in our hearts, God, I got a friend at work. He just seems like there's no way that guy would ever come to church. But what if he doesn't come to church? What if he's never given his heart to God because nobody's ever told him about it? Nobody's ever invited him. Can, can I just tell you this? Right in your chair, there's invite cards. I got a zillion more out in the lobby. Grab a stack of them. My, my youngest child, my youngest daughter this week, um, I picked her up from gymnastics. And she had gone in with a stack of invite cards. She came out with one. She's like, I only got one left. And I said, what'd you do with them? She said, I invited everybody in the gym. Like I went around and handed out everybody. And, and do you know this, that there are three families who come to this church now, some of whom have been baptized in this church, 
because of my littlest daughter invited them to our church. That, like, 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 and I'm not saying that to prop her up or to make my family look more spiritual than yours because we're not, FYI. You're like, yes, you are. No, we're not, right? I'm just saying if my 11-year-old can get this done, can't we do this together? Can't we fill this place up five times if possible next week? Can't we see God do for us what we could never do on our own? Yes. I just need your help with that. But now I want to make it personal for you. What, what do you need God to do in your life? Is it a financial thing that seems too large, like it's impossible? Is it a relational thing? Is it a health thing? Like, is it, a, is, it, is it an addiction thing? Is it a temptation thing that you just feel like you just keep giving into? Like, what is it? And I'm gonna pray for you now, and I want you to believe God, God. And I want you to say it in your own way. You don't have to say it out loud. Maybe under your breath, maybe in your heart and mind. God can, he can read your thoughts. That's scary, by the way, but that's good today, right now, in this moment. Just say, God, this is what, I'm, what's, what feels bigger than me. And I'm gonna trust you to help me with this. Would you do that with me now? Lord Jesus, we come to you. We thank you so much. God, for your word. God, and, and the truth that with you, you, you said it in the Old Testament, nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible with you. So that no matter how big it seems to us compared to you, it's really not a big deal. You got this. And so right now, Lord, many of us are praying to you right now and we're saying, Lord, this is the thing, this financial, this bill, this, this retirement account, this, this, this financial, our house, Lord, our, 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 our marriage, God, our, our relationship, Lord, my, my, my kids, God, or maybe there's somebody at my work that I want to know you and it just seems like there's no way. God, I'm bringing that person to you right now. I'm, I'm believing with faith and boldness that you can get this done, Lord. Whatever it is, anything is possible. Anybody that believes, it's possible. And so we just come to you and we thank you for that. And Lord, we're praying over this weekend, God, that this Easter weekend would be like nothing we've ever experienced before, that we would see people come to faith like we've never known before. And Easter is the best possible opportunity for us to invite people. People tend to come on Easter when they might not come any other time. I'm praying for the courage and the boldness for us to go out and invite people and to bring people to you so that you can add people daily those who are being saved. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen.